everybody, I'm Kai Savaz. Welcome to a brand new film music media conversation. I'm here with composer Max Arouge. Max, thank you so much for, for chatting today. It's so great to sit down with you. Thanks, Kai. Great to see you. Yeah, good to see you, man. Um, so I want to start off, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've talked with your your old, your, your good old buddy, Lauren, a bunch of times, but I want to uh, <laughs> dive into your world now. And I, I, I love starting uh, with this question now. I've been asking composers and, and it may sound like a simple question. It might have more profound meaning to you, but I'm curious, however you take it, as a person, as a storyteller, as an artist, as a musician, as a composer, what does uh, music mean to you? I think it's hard to imagine life without music. And I think for me, it's it's obviously emotional. That's not the main component. I think it's more as as it has to be as much like breathing where it just has to happen every day, basically, or else it doesn't feel natural. It's like the day isn't complete without doing yeah. music, I feel like eating like, yeah, you have to eat every day. So I th it's like that. Yeah, you just you, you expect to do it. It's going to be there when you wake up and it's just going to be part of your day for that day. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly. So, uh, yeah, I want to go back. You know, I love learning about people's origin stories. So take me back to is there a moment in your life that you remember music kind of entering it? Was there like a catalyst moment? Did it happen gradual? When did it start becoming like an interest for you that kind of started pulling your attention towards it? I started playing piano when I was six and I was taking lessons. And then it wasn't until I was 12 years old, I think, in middle school when either in class or at school, we we had a performer come or we watched a video. And then it occurred to me that I could already play a little bit. And then then I fell in love with it and realized that that's something that I wanted to cultivate because before that, it was just something I was doing. And at that age, you can only really understand so much about anything. But I think at that point, it, it was clear that it was more than just this random thing that I was doing. Right. And when did it dawn on you, like, I want this to be my career? Was that ever like, when I'm going to pursue this and this is what I want to do for a living? It, it, yes. In, in high school, my friends and I made a, a short film. It was actually like 45 minutes, so a long short film. And we all acted in it also. And then... It's about a jazz singer and we were all members of the band and a few of us actually did play in a band as well. So uh, then I did the music for that with a friend of mine. It was mostly drama. And so we wrote a couple little jazz tunes. And in that process, that's when I realized that I thought it was I, I hoped it would be something that I could do professionally. And I think that was when I thought, yeah, I should look into this and, and check it out. So what were the steps that you took? Did you start, uh, did you go going to school and take me to the journey from pursuing that, going to Los Angeles and yeah, and getting kind of those, your first, your, your foot in the door? Well, in high school, I started taking a couple of classes and I really liked it. And I thought, oh, I want, why not apply, um, apply to school to do this? And then I yeah. did. And then I went to USC and, and I studied classical music there, writing classical music played piano and just kind of got immersed in that world. And two years before I finished school, I got an internship over at Hans Zimmer's place, remote control. And I met Lorne on my first day. Oh, wow. <laughs> on my first day. And then after a year of interning, he asked if I wanted to hang out and start learning the ropes. And then I did that for a year. Um, and then right after school, he offered me a job. So it really was, it was the ideal way to get into the industry, yeah. starting with interest 
and then seeing if there was an actual career opportunity and then there was and then it really went so smoothly yeah so i mean so talk me about those early years uh working with lauren i know a lot of people who followed that same path and a lot of people just you know vowed that that's the best way to just like a boot camp to kind of learn the industry see how composers interact in meetings see the business side of things the creative side of things so i'm curious what did you absorb what were kind of the key lessons that you absorbed from lauren working with him i think there's so many lessons it's it would be impossible you to write a book about it i'm sure yeah <laughs> seriously you, you really could you really could yeah. um but i think just the general sense is how to write music how to present it to people that will work with their film and for their film and then and then see that process to term where you write a piece they're going to have feedback and you continually address that feedback in a professional manner for the next three to nine months and you do this dance um, until everybody's happy the director the producers and yeah it's really a beautiful process once you get to know it it's it's quite old-fashioned and and for good reason because in the creative process it takes time for people to get used to ideas and to learn them and to fall in love with them and then to give feedback and it has to be this this process um that really can't be truncated you you can you can make it faster but you can't skip too many steps i feel yeah so what were you i mean was it like i mean take me through that time like were you nervous working in this kind of this you know remote control can be kind of an intimidating place to be because there's just so many tight titans walking around and there's big movies coming through did you were you just ready to get your hands dirty and dive in or were you kind of like maybe more cautious at first and just kind of feeling things out before you kind of started you know raising your hand to do stuff <laughs> uh, yeah, i was nervous for sure um but i think i started so young that i and i didn't really have any qualms about anything i didn't i was happy to do anything and everything so you're just hungry <laughs> exactly exactly and i think that's that's the um the best way to do it because I, I just did and then before you knew it years had passed by and then i then i learned all this stuff um so it just kind of happened organically and out of necessity um yeah, yeah it was very it, it happened so quickly that it didn't have much time to think about it <laughs> right so in those early stages are you at that point I know you're, you're, you started kind of like as, as Lauren's assistant and kind of doing tech engineer stuff and then eventually becoming an assistant uh, additional composer on his scores. Were you trying to kind of find your voice as a composer at that point or were you just focused on learning more of the, the kind of the technical side of things before you eventually start scoring stuff on your own? I think focused on just doing the job. That's a great yeah. question about finding my voice or fi finding anyone's voice. Right, yeah, yeah. But if you're working on an action movie and then let's say you get a call at 3 p.m. saying, OK, we need to submit for this ad. Uh, we need to do a couple of short jazz tunes on the piano or whatever. There's not time to think, OK, you know, what's my personal origin story and how am I getting this into this piece? Like we've got to write a piece and it's got to be good and we've yeah. got to send it by five. So let's just go for it and not not get too precious about it, but write a good piece sure. and get, get going with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, so I want to jump into, before we kind of jump into some of your work, uh, maybe talk 
kind of more on a wide uh, general kind of idea of, of, of just your scoring approach. So I'm curious, I always like to ask, where does the first note come from for you? I know it's going to differ based on the project, but I'm curious as a, if you had, if it's an ideal setting, you're on the film with, you know, it's not like a last second rush job or anything like that. You, where do you like to gravitate towards to find that first kind of note of inspiration? Do you like to watch that first locked cut? Do you like to, if you're lucky enough to be on early, read the script and talk to the director? Or do you like to go right away from the picture and just come up with ideas? I'm curious, what's kind of the starting point for your process? I think ideally seeing the film first, then sitting at the piano almost immediately after, maybe having a conversation with the director, maybe not, because I would assume that if you get the project, you watch the movie, you have about two weeks, I would say, before you need to play them something. I, I would think that's about the the organic um, timeline for that. So after watching it, sit down immediately and just start writing and just just idea, 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 just getting my feet wet. And then the yeah. next day I would come back in and say, okay, what of these are interesting? And then I'll probably take a couple of those and then write a full piece, whether it be three and a half minutes, five minutes, so that 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 piece is um, it, it's a complete sentence it's not just a little motif or a thought it's something that right. could play oh this is for the character's love interest this is for the character's struggle with their parents something like that and i would kind of go through that process for i would say a couple days and then after four or five days it would be clear to me what my favorites are and yeah. then i would really continue to hone in on those and after maybe record an instrument or two if I wanted to really get a flavor of let's say the place or the person and then after that so let's say there's seven days left before I'm going to play them play them something I'll then start working those pieces to picture and thinking okay I've got an, a melody that I like now how am I going to perfectly put this to picture so that it fits the scene like a glove and then I'll do that for a couple of days. Then I'll maybe I'll take a day or two to not look at it. And then I'll come back to it, make a couple tweaks, maybe not. And then by then I will have spent a pretty good amount of time getting intimate with what I think really works. And then I'll have a batch of stuff that I think is not perfect. And I'll just leave it to the side. And let's say the director likes most of what I've done. And who knows, maybe one of those things I didn't like will be perfect for some random scene later on. Only time yeah. will tell. Absolutely. So I also want to mention that you have, uh, you, you have worked a lot with your good friend, uh, you know, uh, Stefan Thum, who's yeah. a fantastic composer. And you guys co-scored Crawl together, which was, I mean, just awesome. So how is the process different when you, I mean, you've scored, both of you have scored se things separately and together. So I'm curious. How's the, how's a co-score approach different than a, a, a solo score approach when you have somebody there to write with or write separately and talk with, you know? Sure. Yeah. Working with, with Stefan is always awesome. It's so much fun. I yeah. think, yeah, if you have a film, the most basic uh, difference is if you have a film that's 90 minutes and let's say you need 70 minutes of score, you don't need to shoulder all the themes. So at first I wouldn't write as much as I would by myself because we will both write ideas and then we'll we'll swap them and then we'll get on a call together and 
and we'll just honestly say what we think our favorites are and what we think works well and what could be added or improved upon. And I'm happy to say after all this time, it kind of becomes this organic balance of, let's say Steph will just nail the villain theme off the bat. And then I will take this unusual emotional scene at the beginning that'll become his thinking uh, melody or whatever. And then we we trade these sessions and we just go for it. And we kind of have our system down pretty well, I think, by now. And we're able to openly communicate with one another and just just be honest and think, yeah, what if we did this? This rhythm is too fast. If you have time, this. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, do you guys compare and contrast like, I mean, I mean, now you guys know each other so well, but at the beginning, was it like, oh, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at that. And kind of see where you complement each other. Or was it just like you just put everything together and be like, I want to tackle everything. You tackle everything. Let's just see what comes out of it. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Yeah. Stefan's good at everything. So he's amazing. <laughs> so I think we just start. And if we have a conversation, he might say, oh, what if we did something rhythmic like this in this scene and then i'll say yeah great idea and then i'll i'll say oh what if we have a sort of low melody here for this character when they're in the bar sure i'll take it and then we come back and and some of it always works basically that's awesome (laughs) it's really fun i'm so glad that i've had such a good experience doing that with someone because i it, it really takes a shorthand to work with someone closely and get along well and you guys kind of, I mean, you kind of came up through the ranks together too. I mean, working both on Lauren's team and you know tackling those huge projects with Lauren. I'm sure you guys were in the trenches together and that definitely helped to, you know, form cement something that, that now you guys are scoring, you know, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Eating, eating chicken sandwiches at 11 PM thinking, oh my God, what are we still doing at the studio? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, 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 you've, I, as you know, in your career, you've you've worked with some uh, great films that were. I'm curious because you, I was looking at your filmography and you were working with a lot of writer directors, which I thought was very, very interesting. You know, the Ice Road from uh, Jonathan Hensley and, and Lansky from uh, Aten Rockaway and Me You Madness from Louise Linton, and of course your newest score to The Tank from Scott Walker. Have you noticed? Is there any difference between some a director who's also the writer of the film versus a director who is taking something that's written and kind of visualizing adapting it. maybe there isn't a difference i'm just curious if you've noticed working with those kind of different types i think yeah that's a great question i think from a from two perspective from a creative perspective they really understand the motivations of every single scene and every character and when they ask for something they're thinking in terms of script as well because they wrote those lines. They know why the character is saying that at that moment. So they're yeah. so intimately familiar with that. And and uh, the other aspect of that, if they were on board for two, three years, I mean, that's their, this is their baby. So they, yeah. they they've been with it from the genesis to, to the end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they've been through all stages of the process. And I think... You know, I wouldn't say that I have enough experience to go beyond that in terms of what I would say about the difference between writer, director, and director. But maybe a, maybe a director who didn't write the script would be more agile and less attached to an idea 
that let's say they didn't write three years ago, they might be able to say, okay, if we cut that and then we jump here, we don't really need that line because we already know from two scenes ago, they're already going to this next location. So let's get on with it. And it, that sort of approach, perhaps. No, that makes total sense. I mean, yeah, just thinking about that, I would, because as from my perspective, yeah, if I wrote a script, I'd be more emotionally attached like no this is essential whereas a, a a director who didn't write the script's like no this is not essential to the story you know, the, you know <laughs> exactly it's a deleted scene you know <laughs> yeah bonus content yeah exactly <laughs> well I, speaking of scott walker let's jump into uh the tank which is your new score uh an awesome supernatural uh creature feature from scott walker which uh, i think is an awesome full circle moment because i think you worked with him last time on when Lawrence scored uh the frozen ground and that was in 2013 yeah 10, 10 years later now you're scoring his new film uh but talk to me about working with Scott and what were the kind of the first conversations you guys discussed about what this this, this movie needed uh, musically when we hopped on the phone for the first call he knew exactly what he wanted for the movie it the whole process really was such a joy he yeah. he had lived with it and by the time i saw the movie the edit was essentially done oh wow and so it was like a fully locked picture then nothing wow that's that's cool yeah i i don't think they changed much at all so and and the editor was on board as well and and i was on when they started dubbing and everyone was just in sync and scott knew the the mood he wanted to create he knew when the characters' themes would come in. He was really f super familiar with the project, so it was just yeah. such a smooth process. Which, which, as you know, in 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 this game, it's not always that way. So it's really nice yeah. when one comes along where it's just such a such a joy, really. Yeah. So, talk to me about the the film. I know you you and uh, Stefan did Crawl, which is a more of a natural creature feature. You had you know something that exists in the real world this is a little bit more supernatural a little bit more monster movie but um i'm curious how did you develop the the sound palette of the score how much uh how did you balance the horror and the thrills with the characters i'm curious how did you find i guess the the, the sound and the structure of this we talked at the beginning about the score and the the creature should have this sort of ancient sound because it's been around for millions of years Right. Um, in this in this world and and it had to it had to sound ancient and then so that let's say a few million years ago if people were running from the same creature they could hear that score but also when yeah. you're doing this it has to be modern as well so balancing that I think it just it just took doing recordings and just just working it just doing the work to create that atmosphere and and in regards to when we get to our family theme and the emotion of the characters, creating that smooth transition is essential or else it just doesn't work. It has to be also seamless. Absolutely. So what, talk to me, what kind of cool textures did you use to, to, to make it sound ancient? What kind of cool sounds were you working with here? <laughs> well, because um, the tank, as in the water tank, people would ask me. Right. So it's metallic, of course. So I started by scraping some knives together and kind of getting that really cold texture and then transposing it and do, doing all sorts of weird things to it so that when they're in the tank, there's a score element that doesn't sound as literal as water dripping, but mm -hmm. rather you can tell it's musical. And that was important that anything I did couldn't sound too much 
like anything that they might experience in the mm-hmm. movie, as in the you know the clenching of the jaw of the monster or whatever. Um, right. And then, other than the metallic stuff, the the creature motif which you hear throughout the movie, it had to be these celli playing, but they had to have this dissonance and out of tune element to them. So it really felt like this creature was ancient and gritty and yeah. and just something wasn't right about it of course because it's right. a monster <laughs> so i mean i i, I, I want to ask this question now because why do you think we as a society love these type of movies i think it's so fascinating because i mean <laughs> my my wife is a huge horror fan and, and she like you know she, it's funny orca is like one of her favorite films like orca not not jaws but orca <laughs> And I always make fun of her for it because she's like, no, it's a revenge story. I'm like, yeah, no, that's the problem. But <laughs> but in terms of just like monster movies and like whether it's Jurassic Park or whether it's something like The Thing or something like, what is it about? To me, I don't know. I'll, 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 maybe I'll tell you my version. I think it's just, it just takes us back to sit, sitting around a campfire and just telling stories. It's like that old style of storytelling where you're just creating images and playing with the human psyche. So I'm curious what your take is on why we love the genre so much. <laughs> I think... It's that the fantasy is that if you were in that situation, how would you react? How would you get your family out of it? And putting yourself in that hero fantasy. That's what I would say is, is the, um, is the desire there and the fascination there. Because everyone might have had a nightmare or maybe they went camping and they heard something behind them. They turned around and they were really scared. What if it was this creature from the tank like what yeah. would you do <laughs> i just think it's a funny thing that I just, I just love that we like to play with that uh part of our of just our primal emotion where it's like that's embedded in us from evolution just a flight or fight response to survive yeah. and we still just trigger that you know uh through creating creating stories to help us get excited because you know we live pretty comfortable lives most of us now so we don't have to run from monsters out in the wild you know saber tooth tigers right. it's yeah. fascinating and it's almost sick i, I went to see yeah. scream six i thought it was a fantastic movie and the audience loved it and there's these horrible things happening on screen but it's right. a blast because it's interweaved with comedy it's yeah it, it's such an odd desire that we have to watch this stuff yeah, isn't it, it? <laughs> i find it fascinating so i'm curious for your score for the tank for those moments where you had to ramp up tension and build up to if there were any you know jump scares or kind of a build up moment how do you know how do you know it's working like do you just rely on your director's feedback because that when you spend so much time with the movie do you know if it's like oh am i being too heavy handed here do i need to pull it back and they let the editing work better or not you know be too saturated i'm curious how do you find the that balance that makes a perfect build or a perfect tension you know work I think it takes practice. That's the only answer I have. Because if you were to watch a film and say, oh, we need scary music here. And let's say you had, you just did a piece of scary music. Great. It might work fine in that isolated moment. But if the movie, if that scene is seven minutes, what are you going to do before it? And what are you going to do after it? And you have to make sure that each moment is perfectly crafted so that the scene is always rising and you don't want to have your climax too early on and then come down. The director will say, well, why do you do that? And then the process of what we do, as you know, and all the time it takes is engineering this stuff and planning it out so perfectly that it's all seamless so that by the time the director hears it, 
he doesn't have to teach you about storytelling and editing and filmmaking. You should already understand that so that you might get it wrong. And you might say, actually, this is totally wrong. But ideally, your first take on a big scene, you should have put a lot of thought into it so that these moments are planned out meticulously such that the audience member wouldn't be able to articulate how smoothly you got from one scene or location to another, but they know that the character has started a scene in one state of mind and has ended it in another. And everything that happened in between, they remember, but kind of like your average day, you might not remember every single little thing that happened, but you know what happened that day. You you are able to kind of overall monitor it. And as a film composer, that's our job to to be there with you the audience member and hold your hand a little bit without the audience member realizing what's going on every single moment. Yeah, I think that's the the, the fascinating part is that you have to, I think those moments, especially in horrors and thrillers, it, it relies so heavily on the editing and the score, but the you don't want the audience to be aware that you're working them, you know, you're you're exactly. affecting them because the the music is so essential. But yeah, in a, in a horror movie, you're you have to be pulled in the scene. If you notice the score is working you, then you just take, get taken out of it. Out of That's it. right. So, was it a, a were you, did you encounter any moments in the tank where you maybe tried too hard and had to pull back? Was there any challenging scenes, I guess, for you that uh, that were maybe creatively rewarding scenes that were really fun to work on? I think um, there's there was one cue. It's my favorite cue. It's the longest one on the album also, I believe. Um I can point it out to you after, actually, once I get the exact track title. But sure. um, but it, it kind of does everything in the movie within one cue. And, and the challenge of that, of having, you know, low-level tension, high-level action, and then coming down for this really intimate moment with the family, and then coming back at the very end for this, this idea of heroism, I think getting the tone just right and as you said not working the audience too hard that balance is so um difficult to achieve but when you get it right and let's just say the team whether it's a producer director or scott and the editor watch through and they say this is great and this works that's that's kind of what you live for i think to know that all of your music writing uh practice and all of your um, and your film composer analysis practice has paid off and and you're serving the film just right so that it's all working that that I think is is what the goal is absolutely and did you pull I know crawl is a completely different film but was there anything that you learned from crawl to that you were able to apply here for kind of that building tension for those scenes with the creature you know involved I think definitely definitely yeah. just just the the idea of if you have a creature, you don't want to play the creature's motif constantly or else you'll get sick of it after five minutes. So yeah, yeah. to have that practice of really planning how it's done, like in Jaws, if you I watched Jaws again recently, yeah. it's it's genius and so tasteful the way it's it's sprinkled throughout so that it's not overused. Um, so th learning that from Crawl, I think that was the big takeaway. Um, to know that you have this and therefore you have a lot of work to do in between all of these these moments where you have the the main theme so yeah. learning how to build tension slowly that's really that because that's what most of the movies it, what most of the movie is in these types of movies is 
slowly getting the audience member and the character if they're walking through a house just getting them into the mood and lulling them and your audience into a state of of uh, relaxation before something really horrible happens <laughs> that, that, as a as a composer it must be like it must be so much fun to do though to to craft those and i'm sure it takes so much time and manipulation to get it right but i mean once you hit that point like you said and it's just like oh you know it, like you got it like it must be such a, like a relief when you like oh, I did, we did it <laughs> it really is it act it is so much fun it is so much fun to do this stuff absolutely so uh you know the the tank is an awesome you know addition to the to the to that genre i'm curious and you know, you mentioned jaws and some other things but are, were there any creature features that you remember growing up really loving like that were kind of like part of your childhood or even recently anything that like sticks out to you <laughs> hmm, childhood i'm trying to think of a creature feature from childhood i think it's not the same at all but et is another one that's just the the way the way the the score and the film introduces you to this world um and the the speed at which it's all revealed to you so that by the end you're emotional it's yeah it's a love story, you know, at the end. It's, it yeah. goes from this unknown... I mean, I remember watching it when I was younger. It's very scary at the beginning when you don't know what E.T. is. And then, yeah. And then it turns into this beautiful, lush, you know, love story that, you know, breaks your heart. <laughs> yeah. And I think even when I mentioned Scream 6, I thought it was a blast. And really, it's a masterclass in creating a fun, exciting lighthearted even though it's you know quite violent movie it's really anybody in hollywood should just learn uh this is how you make a fun film because that's what the tank is also it's meant to be enjoyed so i i'm glad to be involved in that absolutely well uh to you know we've covered so much about your process and then looking at the tank and before we wrap up i do want to talk about you know i think we're just talking about before we started recording how the industry has you know we've been going through so much crazy changes like recently uh but i think once both of you and i when we entered this industry you know it changed it just was change at year after year and just progressively yeah. changed so i'm curious in your experience how have you been adapting how have you been uh i guess pivoting with these changes and what are some of maybe the good things that are coming out if we want to focus on you know some hope for the future what do you what do you see as good things happening right now I think, like we were saying, although things are changing very quickly, the process of film scoring is actually still very, very uh, traditional, where you have a story and you have to write music that works with a story. People were doing the same thing over 100 years ago. So the practice and the process of working with a director is still very much intact. I think the technology makes things faster which isn't always better. But if you're in a time crunch, then of course, to be able to use technology to write a piece within days is, yeah. we're used to it by now. And and now everyone thinks- And unfortunately, directors are used to it too. <laughs> That's right, they really are. So, so that the aspect is that, let's say if the final scene in the movie isn't working and you, and you need to rewrite it, in like two days. The fact that you can do that is great. Um, I think the, I think there's so many different um, story, uh, not stories, but um, what was I gonna say? Um, like not plot lines, but, but there's so, there's so many more stories out there today. I think that is exciting. Oh, no, yeah, I, I, I think technology 
uh, has amplified voices that, you know, just it gives everyone, I mean, the fact that I can just, you know, this phone has 4K 24P that he can take that out. When I was in film school, like what? Like, yeah, <laughs> if I, was, cool. I was working using my dad's high eight camera when I was in the backyard, just figuring, you know, shit out. But like, <laughs> and of course I was like the last, when I went to film school, I was like the last class that used 16 millimeter and they just shifted all to digital. I'm like, well, everything I learned is obsolete. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, right, I'm riding this wave of, of obsolete, obsolete technology. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I think everyone feels that way. But yeah, yeah, I think doing our best to modernize and keep up and understand what to what to retain and what to move on from. Um, but I still think on my day to day, just having a piano or keyboard that's right here, that's really all that matters at the end of the day, I think yeah. still. And doing things over Zoom is obviously a great, um, great step forward. But when I wake from when I wake up to when I go home at night i've still got the piano and that's that's the key yeah. that's the key absolutely well to 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 wrap up uh you know you've you i mean you've accomplished so much but you're still so very you know your your career is getting started and you're ramping it up and and it's been so impressive watching i mean when we both started we were you know youngins and watching each other grow it's been <laughs> such a pleasure to watch how Michael. awesome of a composer you've, you've turned into but um if you could give any advice to maybe the next generation that's maybe just entering, you know, just got moved to LA, just got there, graduated from college, what were some, maybe it was some, like a piece of advice you'd give them for surviving today? <laughs> I, I think for someone who just graduated from college and, and hopefully studied music, I, 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 I think, but if you didn't, hopefully you've already been doing music for a while. And in that case, I think, I think trying to work for someone is the best because they give you feedback. Um, going it on your own, I think is totally fine. But that process of kind of having a master above you or a teacher and telling you what you did wrong or how you could do better, that's a process and, and relationship that's just invaluable because you don't get that um, anywhere else really or you get it in school but after school the learning must continue and i think even any you know any artist or pop star has people in their circle i would imagine that are still coaching them and giving them feedback i for sure i would imagine yeah. and also i think but also even in school i don't know if you get that same or anything because school is such a bubble it's like this creative bubble where you're you're just there and then once that bubble pops i can from my experience in film school they didn't prep me at all for how to get a job. It's just like you learn how to work cameras and work a set and everything. But once you're out in the real world, it's like, well, God, what do I do? You know, it's like it's, <laughs> it's like where do I even apply to anything? And so that's why uh, I think that your path is amazing because you got all that rich experience so early on. I yeah, I agree. And yeah, the idea you're right. In school, there's no stakes really. Whereas yeah. if you're in the professional world, and your your boss doesn't like a piece that you've done it's not that he doesn't like it personally or that he doesn't you know dislike you personally it's that the client won't like it and they're paying you therefore it should be fixed because it's their film and you are on a team and just that alone and just getting used to that and getting that under your skin yeah. and for the young artist to shed that uh the egotism that might come out of school i think is it's a it's a beautiful thing
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Max, thank you so much for your time this evening to to discuss your work. And it's been so great to to do this and and, and learn more about your life and everything and your approach. So, I mean, thank you again for, for your time. <laughs> thank you, Kai. Always great to hang.